I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. This is Monica Reinagel. Welcome to the Nutrition Diva podcast. And joining me today is Dr. Stefan Guillenet to talk about his new book, The Hungry Brain, Outsmarting the Instincts That Make Us Overeat. Dr. Guillenet is an obesity researcher and a health writer who you might know from his blog at wholehealthsource.org. I've been a fan of this blog for a long time, Stefan. You have a wonderful way of explaining really complex research, making it you know, very entertaining, very approachable. So thank you for all your wonderful work over the years on Whole Health Source. Thank you. It's good to be here with you. And you're, now you've got a new book out, and the focus of this new book explains why it can be so hard to control the impulses that lead us to overeat. We, we've all been there. Uh, and you talk about how our brains almost literally get hijacked by impulses that completely overwhelm our good intentions or our, our willpower and even our rational understanding of you know, what it is that we want to be doing. And, and I think that this is a topic that uh, is, is fascinating to me and also to, to my listeners because we're all struggling with these things on a daily basis. So I'm hoping that you're going to be able to share some insights with us to help us outsmart our hungry brains. Mm-hmm. So you write that our neurological and chemical responses to food have evolved over the course of millions of years during which... For most of that time, food was relatively scarce and hard to come by. And now, of course, we're just overwhelmed by cheap and tempting food everywhere we look. So on the one hand, reading that made me feel a little bit better about my, about my lapses when I do make bad choices, because maybe you know it's not um, just that I'm a bad person, I'm, my brain's being hijacked. But on the other hand, I have to admit, it made me feel a little hopeless. I mean, obviously, our brains aren't going to be changing anytime soon. So is understanding why this happens to us, is that enough to help us overcome this mismatch between our biology and our environment? Yeah, that's a really good question. And in fact, one of the major themes of my book is that many of our decisions are made on the basis of impulsive, non-conscious brain activity that we have no control over and that influences our behavior in ways that we can manage, but we can't really control. So for example, a craving, I mean, where does a craving come from? It comes from non-conscious brain activity. That's not something that you choose to, you know, bring into your mind. 
So you can manage it, but you can't control it. You can manage how your behavior responds to that craving, but you can't, you can't get rid of the craving. You can't decide not to have the craving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I, I think that it's, it's a really important question that you raise because if that's true, if many of our behaviors are guided by non-conscious brain activity, then how can we possibly do anything about it with the rational parts of our minds that want us to be, you know, lean, healthy, and rich and successful? <laughs> and attractive. Um, and attractive. Um, and the answer is that you really, wh- what you want to do is, you know, I think a lot of people think about that we, we have this concept of ourselves as these rational conscious agents that can exert control, you know, conscious control over whatever situation comes to us. But in reality, um, we're often responding to the cues in our environment, such as the presence of tempting foods within arm's reach. And so the way to control these impulses that arise when we're in that situation is to set up your life and environment to consciously make decisions in advance to give your non-conscious brain the right cues to guide it in the right direction. And so, for example, controlling your food environment so that these, so that you're not forcing yourself in the position to have to exert willpower because there's something really tempting right in front of you. Yeah, that's something that uh, I've talked on the podcast before about how uh, the phenomenon that we tend to make much better choices for our future selves than we're able to make for our present selves. And so we need to try to put that to work for us in, um, in sort of preempting some of those scenarios. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah, I'm saying that you need, exactly, you need, to, you need to think about what kind of scenario you're going to be in in the future and design your environment in such a way that it guides your behavior in the right direction. So yeah. basically you're, you're, you're putting yourself in a situation where you are recruiting your impulses to support your goals rather than having them oppose your goals. I live by routines, especially my same day delivery routine was shipped. Cause when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Um, well, you know, there's no doubt we can look around uh, us and see that there is an alarming majority now of the population that is overweight and obese, but not everyone. There does remain a substantial minority of adults who are not overweight. So how much of this is genetic? How much of it is 
just environmental good luck? How much of it is willpower and self-control or is there something else in the mix there? What explains that uh, minority of people who don't seem to succumb to this same environment and the same brain circuitry? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. And, you know, the first thing I want to point out is that um, differences in between individuals and how much and how much fat they carry on their bodies um, are primarily explained by genetics. So in the United States, for example, studies have shown that genetic factors explain about 75%, somewhere around 70% of the uh, differences in body mass index between individuals. So, um, but the other thing that I want to, I want to point out is that, um, willpower itself has a genetic component. So, you know, whether or not um, there are a lot of potential reasons why genetics could impact someone's weight and genetic differences in Mm -hmm. the ability to resist tempting foods is one way that that could happen. Um, However, if we look at the genetics of body fatness, what we find is that most of the genes Um, that differ between people of different weights have to do with how the brain is put together and um, particularly the parts of the brain that regulate body fatness, such as um, circuits in a part of the brain called the hypothalamus. So to to get back to um, answering your question more directly, um, some people, as you noted, can eat as much as they want and never gain weight, or some people just don't overeat in the first place. Um, And we don't really know what causes that. I mean, it's likely that it has a strong genetic component since genetics are so intimately involved in determining body weight or influencing body weight, I should say. Um, But we don't really know exactly how that happens. However, studies have shown that if you overfeed a group of 10 people uh, you know, by a certain number of calories each day, each person overfed by exactly the same amount. Some people will take every extra calorie and put it right in their fat tissue, whereas other people will burn off almost every single calorie. So um, again, we don't know exactly what it is that causes that to happen, but it likely has a genetic component. And another thing um, that researchers have noted about people who resist fat gain in the in the um, in the face of overeating is that they tend to have um, markers of physical fitness. So when you look at, when you measure their physical fitness level, the people who are able to burn off extra calories when they're overeating are people who tend to be more physically fit. And so it's possible that basically those are people who exercise more they have a healthier metabolism that's able to respond better to calorie excess and kind of shunt off those extra calories. Well, that's somewhat hopeful because that, unlike our DNA, is something that we might be able to take steps to to, uh, influence how much Mm -hmm. we exercise. Mm -hmm. But you know, it, it raises another question for me. I personally, and I'm sure you as well, know lots of nutrition and health professionals who have a lot to say about weight management and what it requires and how we should go about it. 
But many of these people, myself included, and, and perhaps you as well, have never themselves been seriously overweight. So do you think that people who have never personally struggled with their weight can ever really understand what that's like? I mean, is it, is it possible to underestimate what it would take to fight back against these influences? Well, um, as you said, I, I've never personally had uh, any major struggles with weight. Um, however, and, and you know, I don't claim to know what it's like to lose a large amount of weight or keep it off or not be able to keep it off. I don't have firsthand experience of that and I don't claim to. However, um, when we're trying to gain insights into general principles that um, apply to everyone, not just ourselves, the best place to look is the scientific literature. And so that's really where I'm coming from is looking at the studies that have actually measured these things in groups of people to see, you know, how, how does this affect the typical person? How does the typical person respond to weight loss? Mm -hmm. And what these studies show is that it is quite difficult. And, you know, again, I don't have firsthand experience of this, but I think the data are quite clear that it's it's not easy to lose a substantial amount of weight and and maintain it, um, and, and I mean you can look at almost any kind of diet. You look at low fat diets. You look at portion control. You look at uh, low carbohydrate diets. Almost any kind of diet. If you follow people long enough, what you see is that there's an initial decline in body weight, and then over the course of the next couple of years, the weight starts to come back on. And um, we know that that relates in large part to the fact that when you lose fat, you develop this, the, the brain triggers this sort of starvation response. And I, I talk about this in depth in my book. Um, I want to say there's a lot of confusion surrounding what that is and exactly how it's caused. But um, despite that confusion, outside of the scientific literature, within the science, scientific literature, it's actually really fairly well understood. And it's due to a decline in this hormone called leptin. And um, basically that initiates this whole suite of starvation responses, probably the, the most important of which is an increase in appetite and interest in food. And so, and so I think, you know, even though I don't have firsthand experience, I think I do have a pretty clear understanding of how difficult it is. And I think the scientific literature is, is very clear on that point as well. That said, that doesn't mean that, um, that doesn't mean that there is, um, nothing that you can do to make it easier and more likely that you'll be able to lose weight and sustain that loss. <laughs> well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you got us there because I was really <laughs> wondering how we were going to dig ourselves back out of this hole of, of despair here, but that's exactly right. And in fact, as you get to the end of the book, you bring it all together into a six point program that you've developed that can help people outsmart their hungry brains. I mean, that's, that's the promise of the book, right? And in that program, you talk about things like getting enough sleep and reducing stress choosing foods that fill you up for fewer calories. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, engineering your environment to make that healthy choice the easiest choice or ideally the only choice. And that I think is all really great advice. And it's also going to sound very familiar to my listeners. They've heard it before. But I was also struck of, of a warning that you had that we need to be aware of food reward, the way in which certain foods reward our brains. Um, 
but it almost sounds as if you're saying that the way to eat less is to make sure that we're not enjoying our food too much. And that doesn't seem like much fun. But I mean, is what you're saying here that our brains are simply not designed to allow us to enjoy things in moderation? Is that just a, an unrealistic goal? Well, you know, I want to I wanna be clear that food reward is one influence on food intake. So it's, it's not the only thing that we can do to regulate our calorie intake. However, um, the reward value of food or its seductiveness, I think seductiveness is a good word that kind of encapsulates that concept in a, in a more intuitive way, um, is a factor that affects our intake. You know, it's like, if ice cream didn't taste good, we probably wouldn't eat it. If pizza didn't taste good, we wouldn't eat it. Um, and these are, you know, foods, basically what it boils down to is that the brain has certain, um, certain properties that it's hardwired to look for in food. And, and again, I get into more detail about this in the book and all the research supporting this, but there's certain food properties that the brain wants. And when the brain finds those in food, it motivates us to eat those foods that contain them. And the more of those properties that the food contains, the more motivated we are to eat them. And generally those, those things revolve around things that supply calories like sugar and fat and starch and, um, and protein. And so, um, basically from, you know, you have to think about this from the perspective of evolution where, our ancestors for millions of years had to fight to get enough food to survive every day. And we still see this in hunter gatherer populations. Um, calorie intake is a major determinant of reproductive success. In other words, how many children you leave behind, which is the currency of natural selection. And so our brains are very deeply hardwired to look for calories and when, you know, and, and this, this is a thing that determines our motivational state. In other words, it's the thing that makes us want to eat certain foods. And so um, when you're in the presence of a food, when you're eating a food on your plate that the brain views as highly desirable because of the properties that it has, your brain is going to motivate you to eat more of that food that it considers desirable. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, and so it basically the brain starts to sweep away all the mechanisms that would normally limit your intake, things like satiety. And so you end up, you can eat really a, a, a lot more calories than you otherwise would. I mean, all you have to do is think about the whole concept of dessert. Like what is dessert? <laughs> dessert is generally something that you eat after you've already filled up on other things. And somehow there's always room. <laughs> there's always room. There's a second stomach. But if right. someone brought more meat and potatoes out and put them in front of you, you wouldn't eat that, right? Yeah. You're not interested in more meat and potatoes. You want cake or cookies or ice cream or whatever. Sure. Some people eat fruit, but <laughs> that aside. Only if there's um, no cake or cookies available though, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, most people would rather eat a bowl of ice cream. Um, and so... And so essentially the, the brain is prioritizing, it's a simple case of the brain prioritizing these things that it finds valuable. And so what, what I'm saying is not, we can't ever eat things that taste good. Um, I think that's unrealistic. Um, what I'm saying is that if we tend to focus on simpler, more satisfying foods, 
and limit those foods that really cause us to, you know, kind of partially lose control or completely lose control, like ice cream or pizza or whatever it is for you, um, then we then it makes it much easier to regulate your calorie intake in a in a healthy way. Right. Got to pick your battles. Yeah. Well, Stefan, I want to thank you for joining me today. And, and I want to recommend The Hungry Brain to, to any of my listeners who are looking for a, a deeper insight into the interaction between our brains and our environment and our bodies. You do such a great job of uh, explaining and synthesizing the research. Um, you're on Twitter at WH Source. Uh, if anybody wants to follow you there, I follow you and I always enjoy your feed. Any last words for our listeners today? No, I think we just about covered it. Thanks, Monica. Thanks so much for listening today. And thank you to Dr. Guillenet for joining me. I'll be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, have a great week and remember to eat something good for me. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 